0: All right, good morning, Carpenter's Way. Um, Having a little bit of technical difficulties this morning. Uh, I think the music, uh, the instruments are working. So we're going to try to play. Uh, There won't be any words on the screen for as of now. Hopefully, we can get that going. So uh, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon if you get lost. Right on. Get up on your feet, find somebody, and tell them good morning.
1: Thank you.
2: brought your Bibles because you'll need them because I don't think it'll be on the screen behind me. See, that'll remind you, you can bring your Bibles. You know, the, the one on your shelf that turns pages, we'll hear that this morning. And So good to see you today. We had a little rain on the way in. That's why probably many people are home watching on the Internet because we had a big sprinkle. It is uh, good to see you today. Would you take your worship, guys? Let me highlight a few things, and uh, then we're going to have the Hudsons are going to come up and share. I guess it'll be Pam going, nope, nope, Kevin's coming up, uh, and they're going to share with us kind of a a real brief update on their trip to Brazil, but uh, there are things you need to be aware of in our worship guide. Um, Number one, welcome to Carpenter's Way. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you, and I would love to shake your hand and meet you immediately following the service. I'll be up here praying with folks. If you've been visiting for a few weeks, and and you'd like to uh, get involved in the body life of the church, man, the way to do that is through our Bible studies. We have like seven adult Bible studies, seven or eight of them. And uh, they function as little churches. They take care of each other. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. They feed each other when they're in a hospital. And uh, they all are aware that each, each of them have a different, unique personality. We don't break them down age-wise. Each of them have a different personality. And we want you to find one of those. And so if you're interested in getting involved, uh, immediately after the service, if you go out these doors and right along the wood wall here where the library is, uh, you'll see a table that has a big Welcome to CW on it, and there will be people there ready to usher you into a Bible study class. Uh, and and look, if you go to one and it it, it doesn't fit your uh, where you're at spiritually or what you're looking for, we'll take you to the next one as well. And and like I said, there's seven or eight. There's even a couple that, that happen at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning before we have our service, and we'd love for you to be involved in one of those. So make sure you do that. Again, if this is your first visit, I want to shake your hand. If it's not and you're ready to jump in, then uh, there'll be somebody at the table to help you. And uh, we are just glad to have you here this morning. If you're watching on the internet, our hope and our prayers, and you're encouraged having been with us today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew a little bit later. And like I said, we're going old school, so you'll need your Bibles. And um, actually, old school now is actually looking it up on your cell phone. So that's how old we've become. Um, I do want to highlight some other things. Wednesday night, uh, Kevin is going to share a little highlight of what happened in Brazil Wednesday night. There's going to be a sharing from um, the whole team on what the Lord did, what the Lord taught them, uh, and uh, and what kind of opportunities they had. So that'll be Wednesday night at 6.30, and uh, we'd encourage you to come out to that. If you haven't been out to Wednesday night, we have programs going on, uh, predominantly Bible studies for every age, from children all the way up, and we would encourage you to come out and bring your kids and your grandkids and, and participate with, with us in that. In two weeks... There's an insert. uh, It it looks like this in your worship guide. It says koinonia. That is a new Wednesday night program that we're going to have for adults. We're transitioning from pure Bible study every Wednesday night to uh, an opportunity where we're going to take on different themes and contexts and to have discussions based on the scriptures of those. We feel like there needs to be a place for us to have a biblical conversation about. Things going on in the world. The scripture says that David's mighty men of Issachar understood the times in which they lived and made decisions accordingly. And so we're gonna we're gonna turn Wednesday night into a conversation of those things. And our first one is gonna be a six week discussion on what is sacred marriage. In other words, not what is marriage, but what is biblical sacred marriage. And we're gonna be using uh, Gary Thomas's video series called uh, Sacred Marriage, and it's about ten or fifteen minutes long each week. And then we're gonna jump into the scriptures together and. Ask, to answer the question, why did God design marriage? What does it look like for two believers? This is not just for married folk. This is for those of you who are single and still looking at what marriage is supposed to be. Um, you realize, and, and I'll, I'll just give you a heads up on this, marriage was designed by God to be our most effective evangelism tool. And uh, and when you look at scripture, it really is quite eye-opening as to uh, as to its effectiveness. So we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of that. Uh, one more thing. So uh, one, one is this not working? Lord, there's a lot going on today, and there's a lot Satan doesn't want to happen. And uh, there are too many distractions in this room right now, too many uh, just stuff going on with the technical stuff. Man, in, in all our time here, I, I've never seen it like this, and uh, and yet we don't need it. We can scream real loud. If this place burned down today, we meet in Ash and worship you because you're worth it. And so this morning, I pray that all the distractions would go away. Um, I pray that... You, you would, would not, not allow Satan to distract. This is a very important uh, message this morning. It's an important season of worship. There, uh, Just because it's not on the screen, Father, and we don't know the words, doesn't mean we can't be fed. And we can't be encouraged. So I ask you right now to please bless us with your presence. We pray that you would uh, kick the Satan and the evil one and his minions out of this place so we can focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not done with announcements. Um, So it's that time of the year where um, Carpenter's Way is an elder-run church. Uh, uh, That means that they oversee, there are seven elders. Uh, We oversee the spiritual health of the flock. Only two of us are vocational, the rest are non-vocational. And that means we oversee the spiritual health of the flock, just like Paul told Timothy. Underneath the elders, we have three uh, deacon teams. Um, and they serve the elders overseeing missions and finances and other things like that and it is that time of the year where we need you to nominate members of the church for those teams uh... so in an insert here tells you who is on these teams and uh, and who is rotating off and how many we need and on the back you can make nominations of those in the flock you feel are qualified based upon the scripture for that this is super important because uh... we're, we're this is not an age thing it's not a popularity thing it is those that you want to spiritually lead this flock in the coming. Uh, for the elders, it's six years. For the deacons, it's three. And I encourage you to please take this seriously, prayerfully consider it. You can put it in the worship guide. But these nominees will be taken from, from now and through the beginning of September. Uh, I think the second week. And then, and then we as elders will gather and we'll, we'll, we'll have been praying over this. And then we'll take a couple of those that we feel fit these positions. And, and then we'll move on them. Our annual business meeting is in November. And uh, you'll be able to participate in that as well. So we begin preparing for that now. Kevin, why don't you come on up? Uh, As you know, it is our privilege to participate in the universal body of Christ. Uh, And that means that we are to continue the ministry that God gave the disciples into making disciples of all people, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we do that full-time in East Texas. And then the Lord allows us to support others who do it full-time across the globe. And we have lots of missionaries that do that. On top of that, we send a few teams periodically to serve the Lord in that. We have a team going down in another week to the border to help uh, a church that is uh, dealing with uh, some uh, immigrants who have come across the border and we're going to help feed them, we're going to help minister to them, and ultimately share the gospel with them. We're going to uh, help the church is actually what we're doing. And we're sending a team of three to find out what's going on down there and see if it's something we want to participate in, in the future. But we also every year have a team that goes to Brazil, and we have a team that goes to Guatemala. And uh, Kevin and Pam, Kevin is the chairman of our Elder Board, and I'm giving more information than you need so that those of you who are visiting or watching understand. Kevin is the chairman of our Elder Board, but he's also a board member for Amazon Outreach and helps with his wife, they lead the, our teams to Brazil. And I ask him just to give a real quick overview of what God did and is doing down there and what they got to participate in, and hopefully he'll come back Wednesday night to hear more, so Kevin.
3: Bom dia. Oh, good response. So now you've learned all the Portuguese you need to be able to sign up. We have translators for that process, and you can learn lots more. You need to know how to say good morning and bom dia is good morning. It's a blessing to be among God's people this morning. Every day we get up, we come here on Sunday morning, and we get to be a group of God's people that are worshiping God. And you can do that by humming watermelon this morning if you don't see the words. It's your heart that is speaking to God. So it's important for us to, um, to come together, to build each other up, and it's important for us to reach out to other people to spread the gospel. I'm going to talk to you this morning just for a moment and encourage you to come to the Wednesday night service this coming Wednesday because we're going to be discussing uh, the project that we just participated in seeing some, uh, the Venezuelan refugee project that you were going to see a video this morning. You did not. I hope we'll get to see it another time. That is Dr. Pablo who was one of our physicians in Brazil, and his wife, Salma, that were giving us some information on the project there. We were able to visit and see what's going on at um, the Venezuelan Refugee Project for housing that you, Carpenters Way Baptist Church, are participating in there. And um, that's something that I think is important for us to understand, and we'll see the video at a later time. Um, Persons that were involved in that process, Robert, Jared, Charles and I were able to visit that and we hope that we can get some more information out to you and Robert and um, Jared are going to be giving you some more information on Wednesday night about that as well. So I hope that you'll be able to come this Wednesday and hear a lot more about that particular project as well as what we did while in Brazil. We had a group of 14 persons from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas and we had 19 from Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, either present or former uh, members here, for a total of 33 short-term missionaries from the United States. We had 64 persons on our boat. That was a, a new number for us uh, this year, and that's a full boat. If you'll, Those of you who have not been on trips before, 64 total persons is a very full boat. But we had an exciting time. We were able to drill two water wells, one in Bintavi, and one in Boa Vista. We had three new villages that we went to and were able to share the gospel with people uh, there. We we went back and revisited four villages that we've been to in the past, saw old friends, encouraged them, did some discipleship there. And this is all on the Andara River, which is an indigenous tribal area, uh, a region that the government designates as indigenous and therefore we have to get permission from the government or from the indigenous tribal leaders called the Tushawa in advance. And we've done that. That's something we can share with you more about that Wednesday night as well. But there's a 10 year process that went on that you heard about previously in order to be able to get to these. And there's many villages there that we still have not visited and hope to be able to in the near future. We did mission work that included ministering to the physical and the spiritual needs of these people. We took doctors and nurses. We took a dentist. We did VBS. We did men's and women's ministry. We gave out food packs, family packs. We did construction projects. We had a service where the gospel is specifically presented to the entire group, and we presented Bibles both in Portuguese and in appropriate uh, villages where persons are present that do not speak Portuguese. We gave the Bible in Satare, which is Tupana Ehi. That's God's Word. That's the name of it. It's not the Bible. It's God's Word. And I think the, um, the Bible in satare actually uh, translates a little better than we do uh, in that fashion. We did a family conference that covered the importance of relationships with God, with your spouse, with children, and with others. And I hope we have some persons um, that are going to be speaking about that on Wednesday night as well. We spent the week As fishers of men, we ended up the last day, and we caught fish as big as men. So uh, it was an exciting time. We hope you can come hear all about it. Better yet, come join us on July the 24th through August the 2nd, 2020. We continue to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth.
2: All right, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. Um, every person that went to Brazil, we, uh, we scholarship uh, a, a mission, our mission trips, any mission trip that goes over a certain amount, we scholarship a certain amount through your your giving. Uh, these things that we do, you support. You participate not just by going but by, by giving, and, and I want to remind you of that. Um, the Lord has blessed us with the opportunity, our location and stuff, and we're excited because Julie and I are going. So this will be her first foreign mission trip outside of Canada. Uh, this will be the first time that she's done missions out of the country. We're excited to go to Brazil, and, and uh, we encourage you to join us, or Guatemala, um, or Lord willing, we'll be doing stuff down on the border uh, as the Lord allows and, and, and ministry allows. Uh, let's, let's, let's pray again. Let's ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you for bringing our teams back safely. Uh, Lord Jesus, I ask you this morning, um, Father, give us a heart for missions in, in East Texas, Help us be gospel uh, tellers, good news tellers to the people we work with, to our children, to each other every Sunday to remind each other that this is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, God saving sinners. Uh, Lord, we get distracted with busy and life, and and Father, we we need to refocus on you. Do not let politics distract us from the ministry that you called us to. Father, thank you for the privilege we have to come together today and to worship and to, to sing and to reflect and to think. And I ask you now, Father, to help us, um, to help us think on you, to be moved by you, to be transformed, to have the, our, our lives changed first and foremost by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: We've done this song a couple times, I think, uh, two or three times. It's called Build My Life. I know you're probably not too familiar with the words, so if you want to stand, you can. If you want to sit and maybe just kind of reflect on the words, uh, it's, it's basically, it's just, it's that. It's, it's about building our life on Him. Uh, it has a bridge that says, I will build my life upon your love. It's a, it's a firm foundation. It's a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone, and, and I will not be shaken. So when we get that part, those are the words. If you want to stay out, if you want to worship with us, if you just want to sit and listen, that's fine.
4: Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one we could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe.
1: We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there
4: is no one like you. There is none besides
1: you. Open up my eyes and...
4: the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one we could ever say. worthy of every breath we could ever
1: breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you.
0: know that as we go into our message this morning about bowing our knee and, and needing you, and there's only one way of salvation, and that's putting our hope and our trust in you. So God, we stand just amazed. We stand amazed, Lord, that you, before the beginning of time, you had all this worked out, that you knew, Lord, in 2019, we'd be standing here in Lufkin, Texas, declaring out with our lips and our hearts, God, that you are a firm foundation. God, that we put our trust in you alone because that's it. That's all we have. That's all we have, God. And we just declare this morning that you are amazing. You are an amazing God. You are an amazing God.
4: You are God before there was time. You are God right here in our lives. And you will always be I God, the mountain trembles and the sea stands still at the mention of your name. All glory and honor and praise be unto your name. All glory and honor and praise the your name.
1: You are amazing, a God who's unchanging.
4: You're always unfailing, the beginning and the end.
1: You are amazing. Yeah
2: Dismiss the kids through third grade now for their programming. They have uh, Bible study on their own, and so we'll dismiss them out this way. And you know, um, uh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 12. Uh, I'll meet you there in a moment. I'll try to keep you ahead a little bit so you know where we're heading. You know, as you sit here and 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 you think of all the stuff, uh, the worship team hates to perform. They want to lead in worship, and. Uh, as you sit here and you listen to music and the screens aren't working and you have a microphone that fails, you do remember we don't need any of this junk to do this, right? I mean, it's really, we, we are so blessed to live in this country. And sometimes not so blessed. Um, we have so much, you guys. We have so much. Uh, there was a I'm, I'm going to do something here. There, there was an illustration the other day, and I, and I saw it, and it was very impactful. Some of you will know where it came from. But if this is the gospel, if this is the foundation of everything we teach, if this is the gospel, this, this seat right here, in the church, and you don't have to follow me on the camera. I'll be back with you in a second. In the church, we've done this. We've got to talk about family we got to talk about marriage. We've got to talk about what worship is. We've got to tell people it's okay to have drums. We've, we've got to make sure we got to make sure that we're mission involved. We've got to make sure that we're politically correct. We've got to make sure that we vote. We've got to make sure. You see what happens, right? The gospel's covered up. It's, it's gone. I mean, and, and we, never, we rarely get back to it. That's what's happened in the church today. And it's not just today, it's actually what happened in Jesus' time. I want to remind you that the Pharisees were the right-wing, conservative, doctrinal, they, they were the people that were on task when it came to the religion that cleaned you up so you could worship according to the Old Covenant. That's what they did. And they added tons to it, like 600 and some rules to help make sure you'd keep the 10. They added more to it. It became about nationalism for the Jews, making Israel great again, the big red caps. It became, you can laugh. That's not a political statement outright. It became about so much stuff, about morality. It became about Jews versus Gentiles. And what do we do with the Samaritan children? I mean, you know, a couple hundred years ago, our unfaithful grandparents, had uh, relations with the Assyrians and the Samaritans of their children. You know, if we actually minister to them, if we actually fellowship with them, we're we're encouraging what their parents did. This is the kind of conversation that was going on among the religious leaders and the super-religious during Jesus' day. And it was everything but God's going to send his Messiah and he's going to take our sin away. At the end of the day or in a million years from now, I want to remind you that's all that matters. Whether we baptize in a Southern Baptist church or in the Jordan River will not be debated in heaven. Whether or not you spoke in tongues in your prayer closet or you believed it was part of a corporate worship, that's not going to be debated in heaven. The only thing that will matter is what did you do about your sin? And every man, woman, and child is given an option. You get to pay for it for yourself or go to God and let Him deal with it. That, my friends, is the gospel. That is all that matters. The rest of the stuff, it's important, but it's not nearly important as that. And Satan wants us off task. And that's where, the, that's where the, the Pharisees and Jesus' family were two years into his ministry and where we find ourselves in the story. If you remember in our text last week, Jesus' family had come to take him away by force. They came to take him away because they thought he had become mentally unstable. They thought that he had become so religiously zealous. The Gospel of Mark tells us that they came because they thought he had lost his mind. Later that same day, Pharisees come to Jesus and they're moving through the crowds and they're telling people that the miracles Jesus is doing, because they can't explain them away, but they start telling people in the crowds that the miracles that Jesus are doing are actually Satan-empowered. That's how crazy these people had become. Matthew 12 verse 28, we pick up the story. One day, some teachers of the religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said, "Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority." Now, now, look, I, I want I want you to I want you to see the ridiculous nature of how unstable that these Pharisees had become at this point, how freaked out, and how 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 desperate they had become by this. There's really no way for us to know how much time takes place between these same Pharisees calling Jesus' supernatural power demonic and this point. But the book of Luke infers, which is the only gospel we have that tries as hard as possible to keep things chronological... The book of Luke infers that it happens really soon after they just say Jesus' miracles are satanic. In other words, they just went through the crowd to say all that supernatural stuff Jesus does that is convincing you he's really from God, it's from Satan. And not long after that, they reapproach him and they say, we need one more miracle from you. We need one more thing. If you'll do us." and the Greek as usual gives us a little more information on this, they are actually asking for one more miracle, but this time make it big. Make it so big that we can't deny that God is involved. Apparently, the miracles that he's already performed, from which include turning water to wine, healing a guy at the pool of Bethesda, healing masses of people, supernaturally walking through and getting away from a crowd who want to throw him off a cliff, healing a crippled guy who was lowered through the roof of a house, reading minds and responding to their thoughts without them saying a word, healing a Gentile military officer's servant. And these are just a few of what we've been through together, a few of the miracles. These... Pharisees approach Jesus and say, "Look, let's let's call a timeout for a second. Let's time out. If you'll just do one more miracle for you, for us, if you'll just do one more big thing, something so undeniable that we have to acknowledge that your God will follow you too." Matthew twelve thirty nine. Jesus replied, "Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign." Adulterous. That is a really interesting word. But as usual, Jesus knows what he's talking about. You see, an adulterer is someone who hasn't been faithful to their vow. The Jews at the Mount uh, at, at Mount Sinai; these people's great, great, great like. I think 24 generations back or something like that, had stood at the base of Mount Sinai after getting the Ten Commandments. They stand at the base, and God has Moses read the Ten Commandments and tell them what's expected of them, and he asked them, will you go into covenant relationship with me? And in unison, all of the people, not just the priests, not just Moses and Aaron, but the whole people standing at the base of Mount Sinai say, we will. They do this like three different times, laying out that if you disobey me, If you sin against me, if you turn your back on me as God, I'm going to judge you. If, on the other hand, you stay faithful to the covenant that we are building today, if you remain faithful to that, I promise that you will never lose in battle not one of your sons. Your women will not die in childbirth. You will never lack for food. I will give you a land that will overflow with milk and honey. You will be protected in supernatural ways. I mean, everything they could ever dream of would be theirs if they would just keep the commandments. But, as you know, they didn't. Some of us who are reading through the Old Testament, actually, right around, um, I think it must have been Ezekiel, about half of us stopped reading. We got slowed down. Other things came up, and we fell asleep. So some of us are behind, and I want you to know that I'm so good that I caught up. Actually, the truth is, I fell behind, too. But we just got into the New Testament this week. We're reading through the Bible together. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just bear with me. Man, one of the reasons it's so hard to read the Old Testament is because they keep doing the same thing. We were just, uh, the, the, the last book we went through, and I know this is out of order, but the way that they had us going through it, the last thing we did was First and Second Chronicles. And First and Second Chronicles are actually one book in the Hebrew, and it goes through the history. It's a summary of the history of the Jews. And it is incredible how many kings are unfaithful to God. And then all of a sudden you have one king and he rebuilds the, uh, the temple and, he, and, he, and people worship there and the nation celebrates for 25 years while he reigns and then all of a sudden the next king tears it down and rebuilds false places of worship. It is incredible how this happens over and over and over and over again. That is the story of the nation of Israel, unfaithfulness, and that's what leads us to where they are now. Um, I, I really want you to understand... That the problem with the Jewish people and especially the Pharisees in Jesus' time is that they had committed adultery with themselves and their wants and their religion and walked away from God. This very group that people is talking to, within a year of of this time period, they are going to actually scream out, we have no king but Caesar. This needs to soak in. That's one of those Easter references that we kind of blow by because we're so busy looking at the cross and the resurrection, which is good, but don't miss the implications of that. We have no king but Caesar, a chant led by the high priests. You realize what they're pushing away, right? Jesus' promise in the Old Testament was to be their king. He called himself the king of kings. He said, you don't need Saul, you don't need David, you don't need anybody else, you just let me be your king. They said, we want a king. So he gives them Saul. While he's got Saul and David and Solomon and then all the others, he keeps saying, if you'll come to me, I'll still be your king. And now, in the the pinnacle moment of everything, when God sends his son to die on the cross, what do they do? The religious leaders start a chant in the crowd, this crowd saying, we have no king but Caesar. That's what adultery looks like. That's adultery. It's it's saying, I will be faithful to you. You understand that the covenant is wrapped up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. All God really asks in the 10 which expands to 622 more laws to help you keep the 10. The 10 were actually to help you keep the two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That wrapped it all up. If you could do those two things, you were faithful to the 10 commandments. But they weren't faithful to God. They were faithful to God as long as he did what they wanted. On Wednesday night, we just read uh, Beyond the Exodus, in, uh, to up to the base of Mount Sinai, and you have these people going, God, you're so good, thank you for, for, thank you for redeeming us, and then the next day whining about not enough food, or not liking the taste of the food, or not having enough water, or not liking the way God directs, and they whine within 24 hours, then they repent, and then they whine again. It's this, I will walk with you as long as you do it the way I want you to. This is the context of the people going here. Of this, Matthew 12, verse 39. Only an evil, adulterous generation, Jesus says to these Pharisees, would demand another miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give you, give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Uh, just a side note, since the Jews counted part of a day as a full day, three days and nights, and in the tomb, and in the tomb and in the tomb, and in the tomb for three nights. It's fulfilled in a partial day, the way the Jews count the calendar. So uh, some people say that that can't be Jesus in, the, in, in death, burial, and resurrection, but it clearly is. Verse 41, the people of Nineveh, now listen, Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees, who so just asked him for one more miracle. Show us one more cool thing. Take us back to the surface uh, circus one more time, and we'll follow you. The people of Nineveh will stand up as witness against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, and you refuse to repent. Just a note. Repentance is necessary. Now, why why do I say that? Because it's optional in today's church. Just to be clear. Just to be clear. There is so much emphasis on the love of God for people today, and he does love people. Everyone. He loves the whole world. But his love doesn't save you. What saves you is realizing that you are in trouble because of your sin and that he's the only one that can save you and you run and you grab his feet like the prostitute at the table in Simon's house when she's kissing his feet. Save me, save me, save me. Please save me. Thank you for saving me. Unless we repent of our sin and turn to him and away from our sin. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for the things you've done. It's actually turning away from your flesh. Family, I know that I'm sounding like an old-time Baptist preacher now. But maybe they were right. I mean, this isn't about being a good human, or being a moral human, or, or being a good citizen of the country, or it, it isn't about figuring everything out. It's actually about realizing who you are in light of the judge and turning away from yourself. We live in a culture that keeps telling us to find ourselves. And, and I got news for you. That bad stuff you think about yourself, it's true. I have told you, as I get older, my nose gets bigger. And all the surgery in the world can't fix that. Uh, Actually, it can fix some of it, but it'll look a little demented. The the truth is that because of sin, I am going to die. And after death, there is the judgment. And if I haven't dealt with that, with the only one who can deal with it, I will deal with it on my own. Please understand, nobody's going to make you bow the knee to God in this life. Nobody's going to make you get saved. Nobody can you get to choose, will I pay for my own sin or will I allow God to pay for my sin? That is the option. That's what Jesus came to do. And, when, and Jesus, I mean, think about this. You understand, for those of you who had VeggieTales growing up, uh, they made the Ninevites the fish-slapping people. But Nineveh, Nineveh was, to the Jews, not as bad as the Samaritans, but almost as bad. These were a wicked, sinful, disgusting, immoral people. And Jesus just said, they're going to judge you on judgment day. Do you know why? He explains it. Look at what he says. They repented of their sin at the preaching of Jonah, a deeply imperfect prophet. I I mean, I I want you to understand, Jonah is... Jonah is Jonah for God's purposes. His rebellion, the reason God uses Jonah is because he's so imperfect. Now Jesus can say, here I am perfect. Here I am reaching out to you. Here I am pleading with you. Jonah's imperfect. He preaches. They repent, and they will be judging you on judgment day. And I can't even get you, a more perfect prophet, to repent. Repentance is necessary. And I, I want to encourage you, and, and I'm going to read this for you a couple verses um, because I can't put them on the screen. But this idea of repentance isn't just a Jesus idea, which would be enough, but it's also some, what, the, what the apostles preached. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, uh, the apostles said, repent of your turn, uh, Peter says, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Too many times we seek refreshment from God without repentance. It doesn't happen. That's not going to happen. You'll need more alcohol. You'll need whatever you medicate yourself with because you will not find refreshment from the Lord until you realize who you are in light of Him and you bow the knee and you give your life to Him and He comes in and He refreshes you by saying, Your sin is forgiven, my son. Your sin is forgiven, my daughter. Repent means to acknowledge that your sin has separated you from God and that it must be dealt with and punished. It is admitting you are the problem, even evil, and that sin must be dealt with. It means turning away from your flesh, those things you desire, and turning to God. It's not just saying I hate my sin. It's saying I love God more than I love my flesh. Please please pay attention here. Teenagers, adults, old folks, of which I am soon becoming one, if sin didn't feed you, nobody would be doing it. The truth is, the hate of today, it gives you a rush. A common enemy, whether you're right or left, the, the, uh, this, this finding yourself, this forgiving yourself idea. Can, can I just say something about forgiving yourself? I understand the psychological concept there, but let me be clear. You haven't sinned against you. There's nothing you can forgive yourself for. God is the one you need to seek forgiveness from. And the problem is that Satan will continually get you to think, if I just feel better about myself, I'll have a better life. Even if you have a better life, your eternal life is in dire straits if you find satisfaction in your flesh. Being a good person should be an outgrowth of what God is doing within us. And in this life, let me be clear, there are some very good unsaved people as we define goodness in this life, but we are talking about an eternal, real, genuine problem. We're talking about a relationship with God. We're talking about forgiveness, and every one of us know it at 2 o'clock in the morning that we fall short, every one of us, every person, whether they believe in God or not. If the Ten Commandments is the standard, every one of us has broken it. That's why Jesus, again, at the Sermon on the Mount, his first major message, pointed out that you say you haven't committed adultery, good for you. If you ever lusted after a woman? You've committed adultery by God's standards. You say you've never mur- murdered, good for you. Well, I'm telling you, if you've ever hated somebody you've murdered in God's standard. You see, the problem is we have these human standards that we understand and then there's God's standards and God used human ways to help us understand our sinfulness. And just about the time we start understanding that I'm just part of the humanity and that's just the way it is, all of a sudden God says it's not good enough to be a normal human. I'm talking about repentance and forgiveness realizing that we're sinners. And this wasn't just with Peter. In 1 John 1, John said this, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar, and it shows that his word has no place in our hearts. Family, listen to me. If you have never had your sin dealt with, run to God. Run to him. He is poised to save you. He's already purchased your, your forgiveness on the cross. He, God doesn't just freely forgive your sin. He puts it on his son, Jesus. He paid for your sin. The reason that he was beaten, the reason he hung on the cross is so so that your sin wouldn't have to be paid for by you. Jesus paid for it. If you know you're a sinner, run to him. Run to him. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is He loves you enough to die for you in your place. The message of the gospel is you don't have to work this out. The message of the gospel is you don't have to go into eternity, not sure. The message of the gospel is Jesus is the answer. And I promise you this morning that if you are trying to find other places to find hope, you will die miserable. It doesn't work. Not long. You only stay drunk for so long. And the problem was that the Jews of their day had actually replaced God with the Jewish religion that God had given them. There is such a thing as becoming so into the religion of God that you miss God altogether. When we pile everything up on the gospel so that we never talk about the gospel, which involves repentance, we've walked away from the gospel. You understand that, right? Because at the end of the day, whether or not this works or whether or not the music is awesome or you have a hymnal in your hand, whether or not all of the missionaries and all the ministries that we've got fit perfectly into your idea what they should be, none of that's going to matter. Only thing that's going to matter is who are you in relation to Jesus Christ? That's all that's going to matter. And this morning, He begs you come to Him. I, uh, I, I want to rabbit trail for a second because I I know some of you have a question in light of Jesus' teaching lately. and I want to be clear. Jesus talks about knowing you're saved as a result of knowing there's fruit in your life. And that's unsettling to us because we want to know we're saved because we walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, were baptized in the right place. Jesus never mentions that. What he says is, by your fruits you'll be known. Out of of a, of a, a holy heart grows good fruit and out of a sinful heart. He's going to say it again here in this. To these Pharisees, don't run and figure out the doctrine of all that. Run back to Jesus if you're not sure. You've been geared to find comfort in the religion. Find comfort in the Savior. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, I don't think I could not be saved because I believe in eternal security. Pastor Mark, do you believe in eternal security? Yes, I do. Okay, I must be saved. That's not the right answer. Run back to Him. Run to him. Run to Jesus. Even as a saved person. Even at 90, run to Jesus. Get on your knees. Go back to him. And if there's things in your life, if there's things in their life that are not as they should be, which they are all in all, all of our lives, it's okay to take him to him still. It's okay to still cry out to him. He loves you. He invites you. He wants you. And we have turned this into a whole lot of noise. Well, how does the Bible help me be a better parent? It helps you be a better parent by allowing the fruit of the Spirit from the inside, from the the Spirit's presence, to make you patient, kind, good, gentle, loving, with great perseverance. Not because it teaches you great communication with your high school child. And sometimes we like the pill more than we like the real solution. Matthew 12, 42 Jesus just told them that even Jonah went, they listened to Jonah, an imperfect prophet, and they repented the people of Nineveh, and they'll judge them because of it. In verse 42, he says, even the queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. He's talking about himself. Even the queen of Sheba came and listened to Solomon's wisdom about God, and she listened, she heard him but you won't even listen to me. Unlike the wicked people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba, these Jews wouldn't even listen because they didn't want to listen. Again, they wanted to make peace with Jesus. They wanted to control Him. They wanted to get Him on their team for His supernatural skill set. He could be a powerful friend in their agenda. They didn't want Him to be their Lord. They didn't want Him to be in control. I want you to think about this last week. Who was God to you this last week? Think about the prayer. When you pray, did you bow the knee to him or ask him to bow the knee to you? Did you ask him to fulfill your dreams for the week? Or did you say, I want to fulfill yours? Who's at the center of your walk with God? Is it you or him? Unfortunately, the call to bow the knee to Jesus, the ruler and leader of our life, has been drowned out by so much other noise. The next thing Jesus says, although kind of confusing, is very scary. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and it finds its former home empty swept and in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and they live there. And so a person is worse off than, than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Uh, As much as we could go off and maybe make some doctrine on on demonology or on angelology, that's really not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here is that you Hebrew people thousands of years ago were confronted with your sin at the base of Mount Sinai. You acknowledged your sin. You said you knew it was a problem, and I gave you a solution. That solution was was a, a covenant between me and you that taught you how to sweep out the yeast from your house. He taught them how to clean themselves up morally. He told them what was expected and what would the cost be. The problem is, that was supposed to show them that they couldn't clean their houses. It was supposed to bring them to the place that they cried out for God and made Him Lord, that they bowed the knee. But instead, all it did was leave them with a clean, empty house. Bill Wilson, who wrote the 12-step program, the big book, has a principle that I've mentioned before in this room. And that is that there's nobody more miserable than a dry drunk. That is a person who actually stops drinking but doesn't replace it with anything that gives them joy. They're grumpy. Again, I always make the joke that that may explain some of the deacons in the church. The truth is, God doesn't just want to take sin and deal with it. He wants to replace it with joy. when, When Nehemiah rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in the Old Testament... The people realized that they were sinful, and they were mourning in front of, uh, in front of Nehemiah, asking God to forgive them. And Nehemiah stood on the, what was the rumble, uh, the, 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 the broken down walls, and he said, it is not time for mourning. The time for mourning and repentance is over. You've done that. Now it is the joy of the Lord that will be our strength. This is the thing that happens when you repent, when you give your life to God. When the Holy Spirit comes in, there is joy to be had. It may not always be happiness, and it may not be an easy life, but there is joy to be had. There is hope. There is strength. There is courage that doesn't leave you looking at Facebook every day, wondering where you fit in. You know where you fit in. Child of God, given a purpose and, a, and a, given a purpose and a, and a source of hope, with a goal. What is the goal? The gospel. Everybody and anybody you come in contact with needs the gospel. So, what you're telling me is I'm supposed to witness to everyone? You should witness to everyone, and sometimes when necessary, use words. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We've got it all wrong, we've turned this relationship with God into a religion. This isn't a religion, it's a lifestyle. It's a transformed lifestyle where the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to move us, and the Jews couldn't wrap their minds around that because they didn't want to wrap their minds around it. What they wanted Jesus to do was one more miracle that they could make him do so they could feel good about their relationship with him. They wanted him to do their bidding so that they could marry their their own selfish ideas with his plan. They couldn't realize that God may have had a different plan. They couldn't stop themselves. When was the last time you actually allowed God to challenge your thinking, to ask yourself if you might be wrong in your, your theology, theology or your understanding, and you bowed the knee to Him? When was the last time you actually had a crisis in your life that was so scary, but at the end of your prayer you prayed what Jesus prayed prayed in the garden, "Not my will, yours be done." The day, this day, in the life of Jesus isn't over. I know you think I'm wrapping up the message. Ten more minutes. Context is huge. So, again, Jesus' family comes. Let me bring you a couple days back. Jesus' family comes, and they think he's crazy, so they try to kidnap him and take him off the road. While he's doing that and dealing with them, the Pharisees come up and start telling the crowd that all of his magic is demonic. Then all of a sudden, they decide it's not demonic, the people aren't following, so now they want to, I don't know, make peace with him again, as long as he'll do a trick on their command. So he has this conversation with them. And while it's going on, this is the middle of the day. Matthew 12, 46 says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd. So while he's saying these things, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So they send Peter and James in to interrupt. And someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, "Look, these are my mothers and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and, sister and mother." Ouch! They're still there. Jesus, family. The way we study the scriptures, sometimes we think, "Oh, it, well, he didn't get any. They didn't get anywhere with Jesus, so they must have gone home." They didn't go home. They're still hanging out. They're not inside the house listening to him argue with the Pharisees. They're hanging out outside, and they got tired of waiting. He's been preaching. Boy, is that guy long-winded. So they send a couple of the disciples in to tell him. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, this is my family. Family? You mean my bio family? Yeah, no, that's not my family. This is my family. Jesus' family still thinks he's crazy. You think you have it hard? You think our life is difficult following the Lord? Imagine that. Ouch. Not done yet. The day goes on. Matthew 13, verse 1, later that same day, all right, so I know you're tired every Sunday of these because these are intense messages, I, I realize it, everything recorded for us is intense, so take a deep breath, this is one day in the life of the disciples, later that same day, Jesus left the house and he sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and he taught as people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow uh, soil and underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants st- uh, soon withered, uh, wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell uh, among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they had planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. <laughs> so this is Jesus' teaching. And, and I know you grew up learning this parable, but let me be clear. If you hadn't grown up learning this parable, you would be thinking exactly what they're thinking. What the heck is he talking about? He's teaching me how to farm. I mean, what's up with this? This makes no sense to me. At the end, though, that's the significant part, where he says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What Jesus is saying to his crowd is, think, think, please, think. Be bothered by this. Come ask me. In fact, he's saying, remember he said just a few weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, seek, ask, knock. He's telling them, I dare you to ask me, what's it mean? Come on, don't just sit there and take it in. Search deeper. And some did. Verse 10 tells us that his disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? (laughs) I love that question. I love that question because it's really what, what they were thinking. Jesus, you understand the crowd has no idea what you're talking about. They're clueless. Why do you speak in parables? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But, but for those who are not listening, even the little understanding that they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use parables. I remember going to a conference a few years ago, a teaching conference, and the uh, person started talking about parables, and his point was that the reason that Jesus spoke in parables was for creativity, so that, the, so that the audience would understand what he was talking about, just so you know, this is exactly the opposite. so that it would be hidden that is why I use parables, he said. For they look and they don't really see. They hear and they don't really listen or understand. Verse 14, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their ears. So their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes Because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see, and they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear. I actually think Jesus explains it pretty well. I think he's pretty clear on this. The reason he spoke in parables was so that those who are blind and not interested and not listening won't hear and understand. Now, now, I know that that sounds weird because we are in a time in history when we No, the Bible says that he would not have any parish. but we actually think God goes around begging people to accept him. Let me be clear, that's not the case. What God wants is not little people in heaven, but relationships with people. You understand the instructions to the disciples were, make disciples of all people, not make little heaven-going people, Not make little people who have little crosses that they wear around their neck, but the goal of this whole thing on God's behalf was relationship with people. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says that he, his desire, his unchanging plan was for us to walk with him to be his adopted children. Now, I know that that sounds like a side point to salvation, but that's only because we're trying to save our rear ends every day. You see, this was always about walking with God. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you, you drop your selfish ambition, you pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus didn't just want Christians, he wanted disciples. That's people who listen to him, who seek, who ask, who knock. Jesus wants everybody to come to repentance, but the truth is what he's not doing is saving people from hell. He is saving people from their condition and bringing them into relationship with God. This was always about a relationship. The problem with the Jews are it's always about cleansing. It's always about religion. It's always about being a good Jew. The problem with the Baptist is it's always about baptism and membership numbers. The problem with the assemblies of God is it's always about worship. The problem is that we have our eyes off of Jesus. That's all Jesus really cared about. Let me be clear. Jesus didn't care if you were a Samaritan or a Jew. Look at the woman at the well. He didn't say, you need to stop being a Samaritan. He said, my father is sending somebody and it actually has sent somebody now is the time when he's seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. You don't understand who the Messiah is. The Jews understand the Messiah and you're both whacked. You see, the problem that we have in the church today is we're all trying to find a church that meets our needs. You don't even know what your needs are. The church can't meet your needs. God can't. The church is where we come together and remind each other that our, meds, our needs, our real needs have been met in him and to remind each other that God is still good even if life is not and that we someday very, very soon win. But until then, we follow him. We trust him. We put our, our selfish ambitions aside for him. If I'm wealthy, I give my wealth. If I'm poor, I trust him in my poverty. If, I am, if I'm, I don't know, fill in the blanks. I set my politics aside for the, uh, aside for the work of the gospel. I set my, my moral standing aside for the sake of the kingdom. I don't, allow, I don't allow myself to see people from a socioeconomic or a political point of view. I see people from God's point of view. I minister to people not because I love them, but because my, my lover loves them. It is an absolute losing of yourself. If I haven't been clear enough to you, let me be clear. You have to give up everything to follow Jesus. And if you think I'm making this up, Jesus said in Romans 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as partial ruler of your life. That's not what it says. If you confess Jesus as Lord, and the church wants to debate lordship salvation. I'm I'm not saying that you understand everything God's gonna ask of you, but let me be clear. Following Jesus in this life endures suffering. We have lost in the church the idea of sacrifice. We give up everything to follow Jesus. Why? Because he gave everything up for us. Is it so hard for us? If this burning build, if this burning build, I even am dyslexic when I speak, if this building burnt down, would we worship in the ash? I don't know. There's another church down the street with a nicer facility, and they have air conditioning. We're still meeting in a tent. Seriously? Think about it. What have we done? When we get millions, we spend millions on ourselves. We don't spend it on the gospel. What have we done? We've done exactly what the Jews did. We've made it about better worship and better technology and better stuff, but not about Jesus. People are dying and going to hell. And if they rush the border to get here so we can tell them, it may make my life uncomfortable, but it is not going to change my message. How about you? Because my message isn't about the United States. It's about Jesus. One of the reasons we go to Guatemala and Brazil and to the border is not because they couldn't do it without us, but because we need to be reminded that Jesus loves them too. It's really hard to hate Indians when you know some. And, and we're comfortable, you guys. I know these chairs are old, and there's cigarette butts in a few. That speaks to the nature of our flock. I don't know who's been smoking while I preach, apparently it's necessary. I know this is hard stuff, but this is what Jesus was saying to them. You realize, big picture here, don't, don't just look at the little stories. They're trying to negotiate and manipulate Jesus into a peaceful relationship so they can get him on their team. Why? Because they can't explain away the miracles. They can't explain them away. So they they can explain away his teaching. They can say he's a radical. They can say even his family thinks he's unhinged. But this dude is making the lame walk, the blind see. And it's only going to get crazier. He's going to raise the dead. And they can't explain that away. So, just like Nicodemus at the beginning of his ministry, they are suing for peace, and in the middle, Jesus is ticking people off that should be on his team, and the disciples are going, "Could you speak more plainly, please we don't the, the crowds aren't understanding this and so Jesus answers the question that everybody has so how do you know if you're saved or not? And how do you explain some who follow for a short time and then walk away? The same question some of us have been asking over the past few weeks as some of our famous preachers are now walking away from Christianity. And he answers it with that story of the seeds. Jesus, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to ask. I want you to knock. I want you to seek. Just ask. And so they do. And Jesus blesses them for it. This is why you understand, because you keep asking, you keep seeking. And then he explains it. Matthew 13, verses 18. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath, that represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Just just to be clear, these are the people that don't ask, knock, or seek. They choose to let it be. In other words, they hear the gospel, they like the gospel, but they don't understand it, and they're really not going to follow up because it doesn't really change them. So they're kind of curious. It's not a problem for them, but it's not a passion for them either. And they walk away. Those are unsaved. Then he gets a second seed, verse 20. The seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. This is the person who goes to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. Hey, I aged myself, I know, but he's still around and he's still the best. The, the truth is, this is the guy who comes and hears a good message on a Sunday morning or goes to a great worship service and is deeply moved and even has tears and realizes there's a, a sinner but walks home, starts smoking dope and goes on with their life. That's this person. Let me be clear with what Jesus is saying. It is possible to have an emotional reaction to the gospel and not be saved because this was never about you not going to hell. This was about a relationship with God. Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you'll, 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 you'll drop your selfish ambition, you'll pick up your cross and follow me. That's what this was about. This was about making followers of Jesus. This was not about a religion. It wasn't about making Jews better. This wasn't about Samaritans being welcomed into the Jewish family. This is about people being redeemed by the God of the universe who will be the judge by the sacrifice of his son. That's what this is about. Warning, if you go looking for yourself, you will find yourself. That will only last you 70 years. Find Jesus. Search for Jesus. Well, you sound like a preacher. I I got news for you. I live just like you do. I have two adult children, which are scarier than when they were young. One has a baby on the way. And they did it right. They just did it fast right after. In March, I will have a grandchild. I just finished raising my kids. Now I'm going to have to raise grandchildren. I know. Listen what do I want for my kids? I want them to love Jesus. Seriously. That's, I know that sounds religious. I want them to love Jesus. I do not want them to love the Baptist church. I don't want you to love this church. I, I do, but I don't. You know. I want you to like being a part of it. I want you to make us better. I don't want you to evaluate us every day by whether you like us and we're meeting your needs or not. The question is, are you meeting God's desired needs for this church by your willingness to serve and to give and to be participant? This is not about you. It's about him. Heaven will be about you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Until then, work, 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 work. Die tired. We should die tired. There is no retirement for the kingdom. I know about 15 teachers just went, I'm not supposed to retire. Get back to work. Not in school, in church, and volunteer in school, and go to the library. We don't quit until we go home. To remove ourselves from the culture is to remove the temple. We're supposed to die tired, friends. Verse 22, the third seed. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Another person that liked the message, but fleshly desires. This is the East Texan who never went back to church after six years of age. Well, I I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. Where's the fruit? I'm a good person. I'm moral. That's not fruit of the Spirit. Interestingly enough, morality is not listed in the fruit of the Spirit's presence. By the way, somebody said to me this week, I'm really trying to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in my life. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, not you. What you have to cultivate is seed or ground, ground. That the seed goes into and grows. So, our prayer isn't, God, make me loving, make me joyous, make me, make me long-suffering. The prayer is, make me good soil for your seed because you have no idea what tomorrow holds. Neither do I. We have no idea. It could be that in another year, this is a socialist country. Over my dead body with my M16 and my howitzer, I fought in World War I and I'll be damned if I let him come back, just so you know. Lots of stuff can happen. Have you read the Old Testament? And in every generation, there was a group of people who faithfully served the Lord in the midst of their suffering and sacrifice because they were about Him and holiness. They were not about themselves. I want you to know there's not a person in this room more selfish than me. Let me be clear. Thank you for not amening that. I thought one or two would. I really hate pain. I'm like a big baby. I had a dream about pain last night and I woke up in a cold sweat. I, I hate pain. I hate dreaming about pain. I hate thinking about pain. But it's worth it for the king. Jesus talked more about struggle and suffering than he did about ease until we get home. Verse 23 the seed that sell on uh, the, the seed told you I'm dyslexic, even in reading and speaking. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word and produce a a harvest of 30 or 60 and 100 times as much as planted. There's that fruit thing again. Fruit. The difference between somebody who likes the gospel and somebody who is a child of God is the fruit. Jesus keeps saying it over and over again. We are not studying right now a Baptist view of Jesus or an Assemblies of God or evangelical view of Jesus. We're not studying a Christian view of Jesus. We are studying what Jesus said about Himself, and He is saying that it is the fruit that separates the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not the fruit that saves you. It is the evidence that you are, in fact, inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And according to Romans 6 through 8, the difference between a saved and an unsaved person is the Holy Spirit's presence. You are a lousy Baptist. You asked me that when I first came here. I told you I was. I want to be more biblical than Baptist. Do I believe in eternal security? Sure. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, well, why are you making it conditional? Because that's what the Bible teaches. If the fruit of the Spirit is present, the Spirit is present. By the way, that's why we gather. Because in your Bible study classes and as you fellowship with each other, you may not see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, but others do. Others see it how you live. On the other hand, if you are living for your flesh and you are feeding your flesh, you have every right to question your salvation this morning. I just want to be clear. I don't care if you're a member of Carpenter's Way. I don't care if you've taught Sunday school. It doesn't matter how many years. You could be a pastor, an MDiv. It doesn't matter because the only thing that separates the lost and the saved is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans teaches. And I'd put it on the screen for you if I had a screen this morning. But Satan's in the technology. We all know that. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. At the end of that same message, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. How do I do that, pastor? How do I seek? How do I knock? How do I ask? 2 Timothy 3 says, all Scripture is inspired, the very breath of God, and is useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses the Scriptures to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. But pastor, how do I do that? 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Satan's best work in the church right now and most effective work in the church right now is undermining the Scriptures. We must get back to the Scriptures. We must get back to the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures. Know God through His Word. You don't don't have to like me. You don't have to trust me. Trust the Scriptures. I'll study it with you. That's my job. All this noise. My job is to help you raise kids, but that's not really my job. My job is to help you have a good marriage, but that's not really my job. My job is to help make sure that our budget works. That's not really my job. I'm bad at that. My job is to make sure that Chad has our worship ready on Sundays, but that's not really my job. My job is, I don't know, my job is the gospel. Your job it's not to defend Carpenter's Way or your job's is the gospel. Don't, don't worry about tongues, sign gifts. Worry about the gospel. When you're out there and people want to know what your church teaches, tell them the gospel. <laughs> That's all we got, man. That's all we got. That's all we got. What does your church believe about healings? We anoint people with oil. We pray for healings. We see people healed sometimes and we see people not healed sometimes. Who cares what your church thinks about healing? What do you believe about healing? Pray for healing. But the Lord's will be done. In every prayer with your will, not mine. Every prayer. If you're not sure where you are this morning with God, don't come to me. Go to God. I don't mind talking with you. I'll pray with you. But you understand what I'm saying. We have, we have done exactly what the Jews do. They go to the Pharisees instead of God. God was standing in front of them. Not Jonah. Not Solomon. God. And they're still listening to the Pharisees. Don't listen to the Pharisees. You go to God. Let's close in prayer. Father, Lord, Father God, King of kings, Lord of lords, holy one, merciful one that would put himself in human form and walk among us for 33 years, O oh, merciful, sovereign God, who would beg us in these stories to listen, to ask, to seek. And what would we do? We demand more signs and miracles. Proof. We don't want proof. We want control. Forgive us for wanting control. I thank you for a congregation that would allow us to look into your word and listen to your voice. Lord Jesus, may today be the day of salvation for those who are not. May today be the day that we pick up our cross and follow you, those who are saved but have not done that. And ultimately, may today be the day that we go out into this community and culture And don't talk about Carpenter's Way, but talk about Jesus Christ. Thank you for being our Savior. In your holy name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 1.5
1: minutes. (laughs) Who am I that the highest king would welcome? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love. Start Yes, he did.